Summer is usually a time of hard work and celebration in medieval Britain. But this summer, in 1153, terror and panic are breaking out across a village in the east of England. Knights are thundering through fields of wheat and barley, putting it to the torch. The golden brown fields are turning black, coughing out thick smoke into the warm summer air. You can hear the howls of anguish from peasant farmers as their whole year's work is destroyed in an afternoon. This is all down to a man named Eustace, the Count of Boulogne. The 24-year-old son of King Stephen is on the warpath. One chronicler of the time says he's greatly vexed and angry. Today, we might say he's doing his nut. And he's taking his anger out on a specific target, lands and property belonging to the church, in this case, the Abbey of Bury St Edmunds. Bury St Edmunds is the site of a super wealthy monastery. It's a cash cow, earning a fortune every year from tourists coming to pray at the shrine of St Edmund, a famous old Christian king of East Anglia who was murdered by the heathen Vikings. And now Eustace, like a modern-day Viking, is ravaging that land. He's riding around with a bunch of thuggish knights, burning crops, smashing buildings, and making sure that everyone who lives there faces starvation that winter. For them, it's devastating. But for a young nobleman like Eustace, ruining people's lives is simply the equivalent of punching the wall. And why is Eustace punching the wall? Well, as the eldest son of the King of England, Eustace is meant to be heir to the crown. But King Stephen has been doing a pretty hopeless job of looking after that crown. At the beginning of the year, England was invaded by the 19-year-old Henry Plantagenet. Henry stormed across the Channel, outwitted Stephen at a siege, and has been marching around England with his tail in the air. The barons who are supposed to be supporting the king are pledging Henry their support. Stephen seems powerless to do anything, and the rumour mill says he's going to negotiate a settlement with Henry. That's why Eustace is doing his nut. As for why he's taking it out on the church, well, first, he has a bit of a personal gripe with the house of God. English bishops have been refusing for years to crown him as co-king while his father is still alive. That's common practice in France, but in England, it's never been the way of things. And the bishops, citing the Pope, are insisting on tradition. Put a pin in that fact, by the way. It's going to cause a lot more trouble later. Now, to add insult to injury, English bishops are preparing to mediate the settlement between Stephen and the invader Henry Plantagenet. It's a settlement that seems very unlikely to leave Eustace as the next in line to the throne or anywhere near it. Eustace also probably entertains a vague hope that if he acts up enough, he might goad Henry into marching his army east and risking a battle. But if he thinks that, he really doesn't know Henry at all. He also doesn't know very much about how fate works in the Middle Ages. Because if you mess with the church, you're messing with God. Remember what happened to the white ship in the last episode? The crew drunkenly turned away priests who'd come to bless their voyage, and it didn't end well. Our angry young man Eustace is also going to get his comeuppance. And King Stephen is going to get a brand new son. 
I'm Dan Jones, and from something else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is history. A dynasty to die for. Episode 4, Fathers and Sons. Warmer, sunnier days are finally arriving. As outside is calling, Factor is here to make sure that however busy you get, your meals are taken care of, giving you all the energy and time to enjoy that weather. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp and, oh yes, blackened salmon. Don't mind if I do. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine and give yourself time to focus on what makes you happy. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash danjones50 and use code danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code danjones50 at factormeals.com slash danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Last time we heard how Henry smashed through England, outmatching and outplaying King Stephen. But beating a king doesn't make you a king. Not when there's annoying bishops and barons around demanding that everything be done properly. So this episode we'll hear how important family is for succession and how the rules can be bent if you've got enough people on your side. What's so great about having a son? If you're a medieval monarch, pretty much everything. There are two essential duties that come with a crown. Number one, you have to dispense justice. Number two, you have to lead armies. Yes, obviously women could do those things. In fact, there are plenty of examples we could pick from this age of women ruling realms in their own right. But in general, these enlightened folk preferred their rulers big and bearded and male. It's a man's world, a patriarchy, a sausage fest. We've already seen in this series how crucial having male rulers is. In France, Eleanor of Aquitaine's whole career, from her marriage to the King of France, to her divorce from him, to her marriage to Henry Plantagenet, has been shaped by the need for a man to rule alongside. In England, the civil war between Stephen and Henry Plantagenet's mum the Empress Matilda, began because the English wouldn't stomach female rule. So realms like kings, and kings like sons, and that's just how it is. Which brings us back to King Stephen's son, Eustace. In the summer of 1153, he's a king's son, but for once that makes him a problem and not a solution. King Stephen wants to make a truce with Henry Plantagenet, but to do so, he might have to agree to Henry replacing Eustace in the line of English succession. Eustace knows that in his gut. That's why he's throwing his toys out of the pram. And in doing so, he's becoming a one-man roadblock to peace. It's going to be very hard for any negotiations to be concluded while Eustace is tearing round the countryside, burning things. Fortunately, God has an answer. At least, that's how writers from the time tell it. The big man upstairs takes a special interest in the lands of Bury St Edmunds, where Eustace is running amok. What's more, he wants an end to war. 
God entertained thoughts of peace and not affliction for England, which was torn and exhausted with intestine evils, wrote one chronicler. And so an exasperated God goes all Old Testament on Eustace. Urged on by the outraged spirit of St Edmund, so people believe, the Lord strikes Eustace down with a severe illness. Around the 17th of August 1153, he dies and is taken to Faversham Abbey to be buried. Of course, today, we can imagine a few other scenarios that led to this convenient death, like the wrong sort of mushrooms served for dinner, or a big dose of deadly nightshade in his nightcap. We'll dig into Eustace's life and convenient death much more in the subscriber episode this week. But for now, since this is the Middle Ages, let's stick with what people thought then. God done it. And this won't be the last time we find God intervening on the side of the Plantagenets, but hold that thought for later. When the news of Eustace's death reaches Stephen, he's shattered. But in a way, it makes his job easier. Although he has another son, William, this one hasn't been expecting to inherit the crown and he's happy to be bought off with lands and money in the name of peace. All this leaves the way clear for Stephen to make a deal with Henry. Henry would call off his army and stop attacking castles and cities held in Stephen's name. In exchange, Stephen would take Henry as a close advisor and make him next in line for the crown. To make things completely official, and to ensure Henry becomes the next king without any chance of disagreement, the two former enemies would become family. Stephen would declare Henry Plantagenet to be his own son and heir. They seal this deal in Winchester Cathedral in November, with Stephen, the father, giving his new son, Henry, a paternal kiss of peace. The old king surely had some complicated feelings in this moment, but compared with Eustace, you've got to admit, Henry's a significant upgrade. Henry stays in England until the next spring, when he goes back to Normandy to break the good news to his friends and followers, including his mum, Matilda. It must feel pretty odd for Matilda too. Her son's new father is her cousin and her bitterest enemy. But if she's worried about awkward Christmas dinner conversation, God has another surprise in store. When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either, and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash dynasty. Indeed.com slash dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When Henry Plantagenet gets back to Normandy in March 1154, he's reunited with Eleanor. She hasn't seen him for more than a year, and it's pretty hard for us to piece together exactly what she's been doing in the meantime. But we do know a few things. She's hung out with her mother-in-law, the Empress Matilda, in Rouen for a while. She's probably set up her own court in Angers, in the Loire Valley. And most importantly, she's produced something Henry really wants. A son. Henry meets his son for the first time at Easter in Normandy and learns that the baby boy was born on the 17th of August, the very same day that God had struck down Eustace. Interestingly, he also learns that the boy is named William, a staunchly Aquitanian name. Think back to our first episode, and you'll remember that Eleanor's granddad, the troubadour Duke of Aquitaine, was called William. So was her father. They're not exactly the most creative family when it comes to naming boys. The latest William is also given the title Count of Poitiers, which was one of the major titles within Eleanor's territories. I find that fascinating and a great barometer of where power lies in this family. Yes, Henry's been away for a year, marching troops around and bullying the King of England. Yes, he's a man in a man's world. Yes, everything he touches seems to turn to gold. But Eleanor isn't just tagging along for the ride. The little boy, their firstborn son and heir, could have been called Henry or Geoffrey or even Falk, which was an old Plantagenet name. But Eleanor chooses William, and Henry accepts her choice. This is her family as much as his. After Easter, the little Plantagenet family spends a few months touring Aquitaine and Normandy, checking in on their territories. In August, Henry even meets with Eleanor's ex, King Louis of France, which must have been an awkward encounter, to say the least. By that time, Eleanor is in the early stages of another pregnancy, with another son, who's due in February 1155. Things couldn't be going better on the male heir's front. Before the new boy enters the scene, though, the Plantagenet situation has changed dramatically. In November 1154, news arrives from England. Henry's adopted father, King Stephen, has died. Suddenly seized with a violent pain in his gut, accompanied by a flow of blood, according to one chronicler. Isn't it handy, all of these people just dropping dead, right when Henry needs them to? Perhaps he's just really, really, really lucky. In any case, the road to royalty is suddenly wide open. The young family, Henry and Eleanor, with little William and their other unborn son, sail back to England. On December the 19th, they're together in Westminster Abbey for the coronation, and Henry becomes King of England. Go back three years, and a more unlikely scenario would have been hard to imagine. But the Plantagenet dynasty has arrived on the English throne, and they're not planning to let go in a hurry. But a king of only 21 will need all the help he can get to keep the unruly British in line. Next time on This Is History, we'll meet the man Henry brings in to be his number two, who's also the man who goes on to become his greatest enemy of all. As always, if you're craving more Plantagenet drama, 
I've got you covered. Join me on This Is History Plus, where every week I reveal the weird details, fun facts and fascinating subplots we don't have time for in the main story. This time, we're going to get to know this episode's real villain, Eustace, and get into some of the grisly deaths we've been hearing about this week. And on top of that, as a subscriber, you'll get all our episodes ad-free. Just visit This Is History on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a rating or review. It's a great way to support us and help new people find the podcast.